John chapter number 17. It's hard to believe that uh, we only have four more chapters left in John. Uh, it was back in the spring we started uh, the message or two from each chapter, and I hope the uh, overview of it has been encouragement to you. I know I have been challenged as I studied out all the sermons and things, so I certainly hope this has been an exhortation and help to you as well. John chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse number 1. John 17 and verse number 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast made him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I have with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest, gavest unto me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known all the things which whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I come out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to be together. Lord, I pray as we come, you will give us clarity of mind, give me clarity of thought as I uh, bring forth your message. And Lord, help us to look to you for guidance. Help us. We need your help. And we need to be assured once again of the hope of you and your salvation, of your grace, and so many other wonderful principles. Lord, I pray you bless this service now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have journeyed through the book of John, we have encountered some really amazing pictures of Jesus. Uh, we've seen him with the heart of compassion as he displayed uh, that, as he healed the sick. Uh, we've seen his power. I mean, he, he rose Lazarus from the dead. And he fed thousands of hungry individuals, thousands and thousands. We see his grace as he saved sinners. Every picture and every chapter has been an encouragement and a blessing and maybe on times convicting because we're not where we need to be. And this chapter 17 is no different. Uh, when we come to this chapter, we see Jesus. He's now in the Garden of Gethsemane and he pours out his heart to his Father. On this night, the last night of his earthly ministry, he will be crucified very shortly. As we look at these things, at this chapter, he is in prayer. That's what he's doing here. He's praying. He's in prayer. And as we go through this chapter this morning, we'll see that that prayer is amazing and it still affects us today. His desire. And I believe that this message will be very encouraging to you. And I don't doubt it might be convicting at times as well, but it'd be very encouraging. Because we see the heart of our Savior and we see His prayer, the prayer of Jesus. 
we see, first of all, it's an upward focus. Uh, verses 1 and 4, I've already read for you those verses. But within those verses, Jesus expressed a desire to glorify the Lord. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son also may glorify thee. It's about lifting up the, per, uh, lifting up the Father, giving God the Father the, the, the glory that he deserves. And that is the, the entire ministry of Jesus is around, it revolves around that purpose. It's for him. It's for the Lord. It's for God. It was the purpose was to reveal God to men. John 14, 9 says, Jesus saith unto him, I have, not, I have been so long with time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? He's confronting Philip at this moment. Uh, but the idea is that he is part of the Father. He's part of the Trinity. And, and Jesus was the perfect expression of God. And when a man saw Jesus, he was seeing the Father. That's who he was seeing. So it is today. Jesus is still the only way for a person to see God. John 1.18, no man hath seen God at any time. The, uh, the only begotten Son, which is the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. No one has come to God on their own. No one has seen God. And the only way you can come to God is through Jesus. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, there is men, there's movements, there's religions, there's cults. Whatever terminology you want to describe their framework who declare and believe they can get to God by bypassing Jesus. Every one of them is, in a, is involved with a totally useless endeavor. You can't. You can't get to God Almighty bypassing Jesus Christ. You have to go through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Jesus is the only way anyone ever comes to God. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's only through Jesus Christ. So he's praying here and it's an upward focus. Uh, he, he thanks the, his Father, uh, giving him the glory. We see the Father's grace as well uh, in these verses. Look down in verse number 22. And the glory which thou gavest them I have given them that they are maybe one even as we are one. And verse 26, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, and thy love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. In these verses, and along with other ones I've already read, uh, Jesus calls to mind the great, amazing grace of God. An amazing grace of God is calling men. He's used That grace is using men today, and, and His grace keeps us, Amen. He's watching over for us. And in this prayer, Jesus reminds us that we're not of our own making. We're not of our own making. I'm, I'm not standing here before you preaching of my own making. You're not wherever you are in your own life by your own making. It's by the grace of God. It's by His grace. Whatever you experience, a, a blessing or whatever it is, it's by God's grace. And when you go through those trials, it's by grace you go through those trials. It's by God's grace. First Corinthians five ten fifteen ten says, "But by, uh, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labor more abundantly that, than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me." We ought to praise God for His grace because it truly is amazing. It's not He. It's nothing. It's nothing that we deserve. We don't deserve God's grace. 
It was by God's grace the message of salvation was given to you that you heard of salvation by His grace. And He provided it for all. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us it's not by our own hands, but by the grace of God. That's what it says. And even after we're saved, once we made that decision for Christ, we, we were told the message of salvation, we realized we were lost, heading to a crisis in eternity, we placed our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we started following Him and, and doing what's right. Hey, it's still, it's, we're still not capable of keeping ourselves. That's in God's grace. It's in His grace. John fifteen five. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. We looked a few weeks ago at being in the vine. It's because we're in the vine that we're saved. We're, we're, we're safe for eternity. We'll be sustained. In other words, the upward focus is an inward focus as well. Uh, in the first few verses, uh, Jesus turns uh, and, and prays about his work. He prays for assistance. And that's mentioned there in verse number one. Uh, Father, uh, the hour has come. Glorify thy son and thy son also may glorify thee. He's looking for assistance. During his course of his ministry, he reminds them numerous times, the disciples and those around them, his hour was not yet come. That's mentioned in the scriptures. This is a reminder to those around him that he was here for a purpose. He hadn't fulfilled his purpose. And you, Jesus came. Jesus came for the purpose of dying for sin. That's it. That's why he came. That's why he came. That's why he came to this earth. John eighteen thirty seven. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. He tells Pilate, I came for a purpose. I came to die. I came for the purpose of dying to provide salvation. Now his hours come. In just a few moments, and it's not going to be in John six seventeen, but in a few moments in the scriptures, he would be betrayed. He would be betrayed. He would be arrested. He would be falsely accused. He would be tried, as I just mentioned there about the Pilate. Uh, he would be tried before Pilate and, and tried a, a horrible court, no doubt. Uh, but he was tried. His prayers for the Father to aid him in these last hours of his life that he might accomplish the task for which he came. He wasn't looking to get out of it. He knew that this was his destiny. This was his purpose. But he was looking for help. He was looking for assistance. Give him the, the grace to get through it. And his desire was to go to the cross, to die for sin, to satisfy the, the Father's demand, and to be raised from the dead. He prayed in verse number 2, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should uh, give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eter life eternal, that they might know thee and the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus knew the hour of his death upon him. He knew that he was to be uh, finished what the Father had sent him to do. And therefore, he, it's a great accomplishment for his Father. The accomplishment was that he was providing salvation for of eternal providing salvation for sinners for eternal life, for eternity. That's what it was an accomplishment. Jesus died on the cross. He said, "It is finished." 
That's found in John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus said that, he was meaning that the price of salvation had had been paid in full. The door of salvation was wide open. You might notice today the doors were not wide open when you came into church. It's raining outside, it's windy, it's a bit cool, you know, it's not a real nice day, so we keep the doors closed. The doors of salvation are never closed. They're always wide open. That all may come. That all may come to Christ. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. What a blessing, what an encouragement that is to all of us, regardless of where you might be from. Regardless of what station you have in life, if that's low or if it's high, no matter uh, what kind of financial situation you are in, everyone can come to Jesus. The doors are wide open. He desires all would come to Him. Now, whosoever will, let Him take of the water freely, says in Revelation twenty two seventeen. That's what Jesus Christ has accomplished on your behalf, on the behalf of all men. My question for you is, have you received the gift? Have you opened, walked through the door, the open door of salvation? Have you accepted Christ as Savior? Verse number 5, And now, o Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which, thou, uh, which I had with thee before the world was. He's asking, he's praying about assurance. Jesus knew that after the cross and the grave, he would return to his Father in heaven and enjoy the glory that he left behind when he came to earth. He was going home. That's exciting, isn't it? I mean, I'll be honest, I've probably been looking at way too many uh, pictures of Newfoundland recently because I, I was supposed to go there for Christmas. It's not going to happen. I was looking forward to going home and see my folks and see extended family and things. And maybe for you, you were planning to go somewhere. Maybe you were going to go back to your hometown sometime this last year. And there was excitement with that. Hey, the Father, Jesus Christ is excited to go back to the Father, to home, to heaven. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8, we see in those verses what Jesus laid down in order to come to earth to provide salvation. He willingly allowed his glory to be concealed from human flesh, and he entered a sinful world. He, he disguised himself as such from the, the, the powers that he had, and has, so he could come and die and live among men. And he did that. He did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for all men. He did all that, this wonderful, amazing event of humbling himself to take the cross, to provide salvation. And all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will enter in that heavenly city. All who accept Christ. Verse number 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which uh, thou hast given me out of this world, and thine they were, and thou hast gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. From verse 6 down to verse 11, the Lord is, is an outward prayer. Actually, verse 6 to 19. It's an outward prayer. It's a focus uh, now on his disciples. It's changing from speaking as much to his father. He's still speaking to his father, but it's not an upward focus. It's an outward focus now. He's talking about his disciples. And there's some wonderful nuggets of truth here for us today. I think will be a great encouragement to you. 
So let's continue in verse number 7. Now they uh, have known that all these things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou hast gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I come out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send, send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. All mine are thine and thine are mine. And I'm glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father, keep thou thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And we see here the Lord is praying for preservation. He's praying for his disciples. He's, he's looking to his Father to encourage his men, these disciples. And they're kept by the Father. Jesus knew the wickedness of the world. He had seen it firsthand. He'd lived amongst it. He'd seen it. He'd seen the wretchedness of the human heart. He didn't actually have to come to earth to see it, but he witnessed it on earth. He knew that to leave these disciples, that they were unable to maintain by themselves. They needed the Father's assistance. And he comes to the Father and says, Lord, help them. God, help them. Help them. Now, I'm so glad this morning that it's not my duty to keep myself saved. It's not my duty to keep myself saved. I'm grateful that we're kept by the power of God. That's what we're kept by. First uh, Peter 1.5, Who are kept by the power of God through uh, uh, faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The power of God is amazing. It's truly astounding. It's beyond any words that we could describe. We could use all the words of our vocabulary and the vocabulary of all the languages of the world, and we would still fall short of the power of God in describing it. It's utterly amazing. I mean, to think, to look into this night sky and see the universes uh, in a clear night where there's no other light pollution, you see the lights and, and stars and things. That's amazing. That, and that's so big, right? I mean, that's massive. I love pictures and uh, being in the Rockies or being in the mountains. I, I love mountains. It's amazing. And then the ocean as it beats on the shore. It's amazing. But even to the finite small things that we can't see. DNA, for example. Our God created that. And by His power, we're kept saved. That's amazing. You know, we ourselves as individuals... Uh, and I hope you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I hope you've made that choice. If you have, i got news... Praise the Lord, right? Yes, we are saved, but we're still sinners. We're still sinners, and we need the Lord to help us to live righteous lives. And we looked at the Holy Spirit uh, a little while ago, and He helps us with that. If we had to maintain our life sinlessly perfect to remain saved, none of us would make it. None of us would. We would sin, we would err. Someone spills your coffee on you in the morning and you get upset with them and you say something nasty and give them a little jab. Well, that's a sin. You shouldn't do that. So now you're out. You know, the reality is there's no way that we could do it ourselves. We couldn't maintain it. The salvation is a gift of God and He maintains it. It's His responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean that we go do whatever we want, wicked or anything of that nature. No, that's not what it is. The reality is, when we get, accept Christ as Savior, we become a new creature. All things are passed away, behold, all things are new. As believers, we should have a desire to live righteously the way that God would want us to live. 
We can experience the Lord's conviction when we don't live that way. And we can experience chastening by the Lord because we're not living His way. But we're never removed from the family. You know, I thought about it this week with my own children when they've done something wrong and you correct them to get them back. They never once like, Dad, am I still in the family? Never once have they said that. Now, they didn't like being disciplined. Who likes that, right? I mean, that's normal. No one likes that. But they never question being still in the family. Because they're still in the family. We want to make sure things are great with our fellowship. You're still always part of the family. But it can be strained. And so the reality is with the Lord, he, or our Father, he's, he's maintaining us. He maintains salvation. It's eternal. That's what salvation is. Ecclesiastes 3.14, I know that whatsoever God doth, he shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doth it, that men should fear before him. Did God provide for salvation? Yes, he did. So what he has done will not fade away. Your salvation, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are forever, eternally secure in him. If salvation was something that one day could be gone, our God would never call it eternal life. And he would never call it everlasting life. He wouldn't do that. Our Savior is not misleading. He's honest. He's true. Either Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about, or salvation is eternal and everlasting. And Jesus knows what he's talking about, so it is eternal and everlasting. Absolutely. I really don't care what men say. No, what the Bible says is what the Bible says, and it's good enough for me. Actually, it's better than good enough. It's fantastic. Let God be true and every man a liar. Romans 2.4. God says it, it's settled. He prayed for their protection. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus talks about an evil one that would come down. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Jesus prayed that the Lord uh, Father would protect them from evil. That's literally the evil one. Jesus praying that he'd be, they'd be given the strength to face the task that laid ahead and that they would be able to stand against the attacks of the devil and his minions and those who would side against God. Let's face it this morning, we are in a battle. We are in a battle. And far too many believers have taken this battle more as a leisure field rather than a battlefield. Very leisurely in their service, or very leisurely in their life, their Christian life. And listen, we need to be reminded that the enemy hates us, he opposes us, and he attacks us. You know, we're going to, uh, in a, a week and a half, on Remembrance Day, the 11th, we're going to remember those who have died for us. And they died for us, protecting from those who would attack us, who would oppose the values we have. And sometimes they hated us for what we believed. 
There's definitely parallels there for us. The reality is that's the enemy. And I'm grateful that the Lord promises his protection to, his, to those who trust him. The angel of the Lord encamped around about them that fear him and deliver them. That's found in Psalms 34, 7. And we're, the Lord never leaves us alone in Hebrews 13, 5. I mentioned that verse so many times. I kind of looked through sermons recently and realized, man, I've mentioned that verse a lot in the last nine months. We're never alone. He never leaves us alone. As I go through this life, there could be times when life is lonely and you do feel alone. But the Lord never leaves us alone. He's always there. You know, and we can think of a, I think of the life of Job. Listen, we're going to be attacked. We're going to have seasons when we're down. We're going to have times when we feel lost. And Job is attacked, but those attacks were only allowed by the enemy because God said, okay, but you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Now, Satan went out of the, the court of, of heaven when God said you could do this with glee thing, he could overwhelm Job. But it's amazing that Satan wouldn't dare go any further than what God told him he could do. So guess who's almighty? God. God is almighty. He prayed for their purity, too, in verse number 16. They are now the world, even as I am now the world. Sanctify them. Though they, through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into this world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus asked the Father to set them apart. Set them apart. His prayer that their, their lives uh, would be a backdrop of the scriptures. They would fulfill the word. They would be a, a pleasant uh, a viewing from the Father that they would serve him. And do it right. Do it with purity of heart. Now the Lord's will for the disciples has not changed for us. He desires the same thing from us. He intends for us to live lives that are different than the world. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The purity the Lord desires... It's not a purity that you have kept every law of every statue of every denomination or the denomination you might be involved with or whatever. By the way, we're not a denomination, just so you know that. Uh, but, you know, there's people out there who say, well, I've got to keep all these rules and regulations to be pure, to be right. Listen, the righteousness that God is talking about here, the purity he's talking about, is based on the Word of God. Not following a man-made tradition. Now that tradition is based upon the Word of God. Well, it's not tradition, it's the Word of God. Follow it. Follow God's Word, absolutely. But it's not about following men's rules or opinions. It's about following God's Word. That's what it desires. His truth, the Word of God, is key to help us. It is the key. It's not just key. It is the key to help us live righteously in an immensely corrupt world. I mean, the corruption we see from day to day. And we're not talking about some country far away, even the corruption in our own land. It's discouraging. It it's, does not make you want to 
jump up and down for joy. But the reality is, we as Christians need to desire to live for Christ. We're in the Word. It will help us to live righteously in a corrupt world. God's desire is summed up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Boy, do we ever need to shine as lights in our world today. Our world is hurting. There's people who have put their life's work, and that's hard. I mean, anybody, it doesn't matter if you're Christian or you're lost, if you put your life work into something and it all comes crumbling down through the events of these lockdowns and things, that's immensely difficult. And it's very, you may feel very hopeless. And do we ever need to shine our gospel lights? And people say, well, they're going through something similar, or they're, they're hurting too, I know they are. How can they have that perspective in life? And amazingly, you can have a wonderful testimony. Verse number 20. Actually, yeah, verse number 20. Neither pray I for these alone, uh, but for them also which shall believe on me through, through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be, be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. So this prayer is an outward prayer, outward focus of a prayer. Jesus turns attention to those who receive him down through the ages. This prayer is for us. Every one of us sitting in this pew, watching online. If we know Christ is Savior, this prayer is for us. Think of it, on the eve of his crucifixion, he knew what was coming. And it was horrific. It was horrible. It was pain that is indescribable. It was all pressed upon his shoulders. And in those times, in those moments, he took time to pray for me, and to pray for you. That's amazing. He prayed for you. He prayed for harmony. In verses 21 to 23, I already read those verses for you. Jesus prayed that his followers might be marked by unity. Be one. That's what he talked about numerous times in those verses. Be one. His desire that we get a, a, a lawn together and to be a greater testimony to the world. You know, church unity does nothing to help reach this world for the cause of Jesus Christ, does it? Like in the sense of disunity. Unity helps it. Disunity hurts it. Hey, I, I've been in communities, driven through. I drove across Canada preaching and things. And uh, I've been in towns and, there, and I met someone and they're like, oh yeah, you know about that church over there? Yeah, that's a, they've had some really bad things over there. And they're not involved with the church. They know it. What a horrible testimony. I mean, it, it's, it's so disappointing to hear about those situations. God's desire is that we get along with one another, that we have a oneness of heart that unites us regardless of the storms that may come upon us. What mother might hit the broadside of our church or our world that we would serve together. Now, it's obvious when you have two people, you're going to have two opinions. I mean, I'm going to use a food analogy here. You know, I love bringing food into my sermons, but I mean, we might go to a place and have a big, Burger, like I'll have a big cheeseburger. I'm staying away from bacon, but you might have bacon. 
on your burger. But I mean, so we, we got our so there's differences right there. But we don't we're not upset about those. I would like to have more bacon, but you know I'm trying to watch it. So anyway, but you might like relish and onions and peppers and tomatoes. And actually, I like all those things too. But anyway, there might be some differences between how you like your burger prepared and how I like my burger prepared. And you maybe put on some um, olives. I don't really like olives, just so everyone knows, okay? I don't like olives. So maybe you put olives on your burger. You need to go get checked out by a doctor, in my opinion. See? Right there. Now, my opinion. Okay? We need to watch out. We have different opinions. We have how many people here today? we got a full house here today. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, so 100. It's not 100 people here. We're just using the word 100. There's 100 people here. We all have, there's a hundred different opinions. You were all uniquely made. God made us the way we are. The secret is being able to disagree without being disagreeable. So if I go with you to the burger joint, I know you're going to get put olives on your burger. In my mind, you're reading to go get checked out by a doctor, but I just keep it to myself and enjoy my burger because my burger is amazing. You know, really. That's what it comes down to. Just, hey, we're all in this thing together. I need you. I need you to help me. I mean, I need you to help me be accountable or help me in service or whatever the case is. Uh, you know, we need to work together. They're, they're, we need to maintain the unity within the body. We, we shouldn't be struggling within the body of Christ. Oh, we could have struggles, but there shouldn't be a struggle between us. That not to be so. There's numerous verses uh, that the Lord talks about this. I'll read you 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, be of one mind, having compassion one another. Let us uh, one of another love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous. And we we need to have that compassion, reaching out to people. Hey, during our time, giving someone a call, send them an email, send them a text, drop by. You know, maybe they can't have you in. That's fine, but just say, hey, we're praying for you, care about you, whatever. And maybe they need some groceries. Get them some groceries. Whatever. I mean, just showing compassion and love. We need that. And the reason that unity is so important is because we're a living advertisement for Jesus Christ, for lack of a better word. We're a testimony to this lost world. And when the world sees the people of God in strife amongst themselves, that's not a... A great testimony or advertisement. Oh, come join us. Well, why, why? I got enough strife. I don't need that. But when they see a church that's united serving Jesus Christ and going for it, and they're like, oh, they have something I don't got. Maybe I should check that out some more. Now, where there's strife, there is confusion. Isn't there a whole lot of confusion in our world right now? I mean, there always has been confusion. But the confusion has gone a few steps up because there's much strife. This leader says this, and this leader says this, and this one down here says this, and this one with this voice says this, and this. There is very little of everyone on the same page. It's a lot of strife, a lot of confusion. And our God is not the author of confusion. He's not. 1 Corinthians 14 33, for God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So that, that verse goes on besides saying he's not the author. It says, I'm, the author, I'm not the author of confusion, but I'm peace. And that should be in all the churches of the saints. Peace. The world can have strife. It can have confusion. But church needs to have peace. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. And that's what God, or sorry, that's what Jesus Christ is praying to the Father. That we would have peace. 
He prayed for our home going. Verse number 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. In this verse, Jesus uh, says that he, his will is for all his followers to be with him in heaven. That's where he is right now. That's where he went not too long after this portion of Scripture. Now, in the New Testament, there's two Greek words that translate to will. Now, I'm not a huge Greek scholar. I never took Greek in Bible college or anything. Uh, but these two words are pretty in, in, intriguing. The first one is thelo, which means to purpose. It is used for the will of God, which is unalterable. You can't alter it. It's firmly fixed. It's the will of God, and it will come to pass. The other one is uh, blomie, which means to have a wish of a desire about something. This word is used of God's desire that may or may not come to pass, depending upon the actions of another or others. So in that instance, Bomlie in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's desire that all should come to him. That's what he's saying. It's my desire that all should come to me. But men need to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. He's not going to make men do that. They have to make that choice. It's my desire. It's my wish that they would do that. And then the second, well, the one of Theolo in John 17, 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, just read you that, be with me where I am. Theolo, here's the word Jesus saying, I'm declaring my purpose. It's unalterable. It's, it's a fixed situation, firmly fixed. They will spend eternity with me in heaven in your glory. Hey, I like that. It's fixed. It's not movable. I will spend eternity with the Father and with the Son. I'm looking forward to that. No confusion there, praise the Lord. None of those things that we see so much around us. The reality is, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you're on your way to heaven. You're on the way home. You're on the way home. He prayed for our hearts. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world have not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and declared it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. As Jesus brought his prayer to a close, he prayed about love, to be filled with love. He desires that his people, that his children, demonstrate. A characteristic of our life is love. Love for others, love for him. And that's definitely found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Charity is talked about as love. John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. This love cannot be duplicated by the world or in the world, but it's produced in the hearts of God's children, born again. You can't, have, you can't demonstrate, you can't live the love that Jesus is praying about here if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
Now, you can be a compassionate individual. I'm not saying that and be lost. For sure, I, I have met some truly compassionate and loving people who are lost. But you can't have this love outside of Jesus Christ. And this, this love is amazing. Who but God could produce within us a love for people from every corner of the globe? Look at our own church. People from all different places, all different types of backgrounds. Some have come from horrible family units. Some have come from pristine, like we would love to all have lived that kind of life in a family. Some of us have had great poverty or dealt with great poverty, and some of us have no idea what poverty is. Some of us have felt the sting of prejudice, and others have not. From every different place in the world, from every different race and creed, who could produce that but God? God's love. The love of God in the hearts of His children is a thing of beauty to see as it grows, as it affects those around us. You know, when we love God as we should, we're going to serve people. We're going to reach out to people. And that impacts people. And I hope this morning that you are genuinely looking to see that godly love grow in your life for those around you. That is the prayer of our Savior for you and for me. What a wonderful prayer. What a wonderful Savior. With every head bowed, as Michelle comes to play. <clears throat> i got three questions for you. I want you to contemplate and think and deal with the Lord as you need to. First question is, are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? It is His desire that you come to Him. Just mentioned a moment ago, He desires that. He wishes that you would accept Him. The door is open. Come to Him. Don't put it aside. Question two. Is there unity in your heart with other believers? Is there unity in the church? Have you wronged a brother or a sister? Are you holding a grudge? If you are, get it right today. Don't leave without making sure it's right today. That is the will of our Father. Be unity. Are you walking in love? Are you loving one another as we should? That is what He prayed for us. How is it for you? Dear Jesus, Lord, we thank you for an amazing prayer. You were even thinking of us just hours before you be betrayed, tried and crucified. Lord, I pray you'd help us to love one another as we should. Have that unity amongst the brethren. That is your desire. That is your will. It is your desire that all men would come to you as well. I pray, Lord, that if any 
here present or watching online, don't know you as Savior, Lord, that they would make that courageous decision. Lord, thank you for your love. Lord, help us to be that lighthouse in our day. Oh, I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.